Thank you, team. Good morning. So glad you're with us today at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein, one of the pastors. It is a privilege to have you with us. If you're new to us, we're glad you're here. If you're family, it's good to see you. Hope you've had a wonderful Christmas holiday, a time of worship, and excited about what God's going to do in this new year. I'm very excited about what God is doing in our church, in the lives of our families, in the future of who he wants us to be, and that's what I want us to begin to talk about even today. In about 1868, there was an archaeological discovery made in the biblical town of Smyrna, Asia Minor, today is modern Turkey. Two stone tablets, and it was very interesting, the inscription that was on those tablets. They spoke of a man, but somebody who was more than man, somebody who was a god. They said he would be filled with virtue and benefit all mankind, that he was sent to be the savior for us all and for all of our descendants, that he would end wars and bring order to all things, that he would be greater than those before him and those that would come after him, that he would literally be a god. It literally said on the inscription that he would bring the gospel, the good news or good tidings to the world. Who does that sound like to you? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? What's interesting is the inscription was not about Jesus. Even though all those things had been prophesied about Jesus, this is an inscription called the um, pre-encounter inscription. And it was not referring to Jesus. It was referring to Caesar Augustus. Again, this was found, and they, they estimate this to have come from about 9 B.C., So from before Jesus is even born, maybe 13, 14 years before Jesus is even born, he's already got competition in the world of who is the savior of the world. Rome said it was Caesar Augustus. Of course, the prophets for a thousand years said it would be Emmanuel, God with us. And those of us who know Jesus know that he is the one who is the savior of the world. uh, Augustus brought peace in some ways. He was successful as a Caesar, as a military leader, but he could never be what that inscription said that he was. Only the carpenter's son from Nazareth, Jesus, could bring lasting, eternal salvation and hope to the world. But I just think it's so interesting that before he's even born, there's already competition for who would be Lord. Right? Isn't that interesting to you? Ever since then, All the way till now, there's still great competition in your life and in my life for who's going to be Lord. Of course, we know that there's only one who brings the good news of salvation. That's Jesus. Uh, The competition between Caesar and Jesus, uh, we also see parts of it in his ministry. There was a time in his ministry where the uh, Pharisees thought they could trap him. Get Jesus to say something that would get him arrested. That's what their hope was. And so... We look at this story in Matthew twenty-two fifteen. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent uh, their disciples to him along with Herodians, saying, Jesus, we know that you are true and teach the way of God uh, truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, 
why put me to the test, you hypocrites? He could see their hearts. He could see the reason behind the question, right? He says, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a, a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, it's Caesar's. He said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. See, what's interesting is, even in this story, Jesus is trying to help his followers understand that there's a competition going on for what matters most, for how they will be identified, for how they will live their lives, what will matter most in their lives. And so he holds up a coin, he says, whose inscription is this? Whose description, whose image is this? They say, Caesar. But what I would ask you this morning as you look in the mirror, as you look at your life, you look at yourself, whose image is on you? God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. What does that speak of our life in him? Caesar, over, you know, a couple hundred years, the king would want to be uh, referenced as God. He wanted people literally to call him Lord and Savior, God and Savior. And so, especially in the first and second century, there became a great persecution uh, of Rome to the church. There's a really interesting story of a man by the name of Polycarp. He was the pastor of the church, interestingly enough, in the town where this inscription was found, Smyrna. 155 AD, he was, this is something that just blows my mind, he was a disciple of the Apostle John. John the Revelator <laughs> discipled Polycarp. It's 155 and Rome is trying to catch people. They're trying to force persecution on people. And so they bring them before a, tri a tribune and they say, you have to burn this incense and you have to say that Caesar is Lord and God or you'll be killed. And I think they knew what Polycarp would say, but they brought him before and he, of course, he didn't burn the incense. He wouldn't make the statement. They decided to burn him alive. And when he wouldn't die fast enough, they ran him through with a spear. And as he's dying, he says, 86 years I have served the Lord. He has done me no wrong. How could I blaspheme my king and savior? And then he says as he's dying, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. I don't know about you, but that's pretty impressive to me. That even in his death, he saw it as a privilege. He saw it as an honor to be connected to the martyrs that had gone before him. To taste the cup of suffering of Jesus. No question where his heart was. I'm grateful that we don't have that kind of persecution in America, aren't you? I'm grateful that we don't have to make that decision. But make no mistake, that persecution is happening around the world every day. Right now, the largest group, uh, religious group of people to be persecuted are Christians. They're Christians. Men and women are dying every day for the cause of Christ. Every day they're being forced with a decision like Polycarp's. You may not have to face that in that regard. 
But there are people who are dying every single day. And I think we're just, as American Christians, we're so insulated to the comfort of our lives that, that we don't realize and we don't, we don't understand what it could even be like to try and imagine having to make a choice like that. But the choice that I do want us to consider this morning is, is Jesus the Lord of my life? Because if he's the Lord of our lives, I believe we maybe could make that choice. That even in the face of death, we could say, Lord, you're, you're more important to me than life. Eternal life with you is more important than, than this death on this temporal earth. Who is Lord of your life? What does it mean that Jesus is Lord of all? What does it mean? Last uh, time we met together, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about peace, shalom, the Hebrew word for shalom. It's not just the peace of like, I hope you feel better, hope your heart's okay, hope you're doing okay, hope you have a nice day. No, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and it means something so much deeper, so much broader. It means that everything in your life is right, that everything in your life is well. That your relationships are where they need to be. That, that your work is blessed. That you have joy unspeakable. That's the kind of peace that Jesus brings. It means flourishing in every aspect of our lives. We talked about the fact that the angel came to the shepherds and he said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with whom he is pleased. Right? So easy to think, well, yeah, he brought peace to the earth. Well, it says... A qualifier, though, it says he brought peace to those with whom he is pleased. And we talked about the fact that he's pleased with people who believe. He's pleased with those who have faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says it's impossible to please God without faith. He's pleased with us who have faith, who believe that Jesus is Messiah, that he is that Savior, born of a woman, God with us, lives a sinless life, dies a sinner's death on a cross, rises on the third day to give us salvation for all eternity. We believe, right? And because we believe, God wants to give us shalom. He wants to give us peace. But there's something else that the angel mentioned to the shepherd. He said, in the city of David is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus, the name Jesus literally means he will save his people from their sins. That's, that's literally what his name means. Christ means anointed one or, or Messiah. He'd been long awaited, promised in prophecy. But Lord means God. Lord means ruler. It means sovereign. It means over all things. So what does this look like? Shalom is not given to every human being. But it is given to those with whom he is pleased, and we please the Lord with our faith. So two things I want you to think about. Does your life bring God pleasure? Pleasure that you know him because you believe, and pleasure that you live a life saying that you believe. It's not enough just to say, okay, I believe, and then you live whatever life you want to live. No, that means you're Lord. To believe is to believe what he's done, and to live a life of faith is to live as though he is Lord of all of your life. We live in such a busy, cluttered reality. Uh, I do. 
I find myself, especially in times where we have more time than normal, you know, on my phone, I just go, ugh, I'm tired of looking at this stupid device. Right? I just want to play some games with my kids. I just want to cook in the kitchen. I just want to go outside. I just want to get away because it feels like there's so many voices, so much noise in my life, so much clutter, suffocating. And for just a few moments this morning, friends, I want us to think about what does it mean for this first Lord's Day, January 2nd, for our lives, for this next week, for this next month, for the rest of this year. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus? See, because of the clutter, because of the noise, there's a lot of things vying for our attention, whether it be the government, politics, your career, man, so many people make their career their God. It's everything. Just climb the ladder. Just be the best. Prove something about who you are, about what you can accomplish. Becomes your God. Your dreams, you chase your dreams at all expense. Money, greed. This time of year we make health and fitness the number one thing in our lives. So I can just be healthy. That's what I'm going to focus my life on. It's a good thing to be healthy. It's a better thing to be spiritually healthy. Some of us are making uh, New Year's resolutions about little habits, little, little things that we do, little addictions that we may have that we want to give to the Lord. That's a good thing. But our addictions can be Lord. Social media can be Lord. Our children, their lives can rule our lives. Our hobbies, sometimes we think our social status, I don't know how many people I know, I watch post things about how wonderful their life is, almost as if they're, they're to say, this is, this is my life, this is all I have, so I'm going to try and pump it up so it looks like I've got things together when none of us really do completely. What drives who you are? Everyone just take a minute, seriously. Ask your heart, what drives my identity? What is the thing in your life that, that gives you your security, gives you your significance, helps you choose how you live, what you say, what you think, how you spend, where you spend your time, the relationships that you build? What is it that gives you your identity? And we were at a conference, Daryl and uh, Elvis and I, this past fall, and uh, Really great conference, but one of the speakers spoke on the conversation of Jesus being Lord of all, and it just captured my heart in a moment. I remember praying and sensing that God was saying something to me, and just having to really just take some time and think about it and pray about it, and I've, I've prayed about it since then. And I feel like the Lord is saying to me, for us as a church, that this coming year we need to focus, we individually and corporately as a family, what it means for Jesus to be Lord of all. What does that mean? There may be little areas of my life, little areas of your life that we, we don't give up. <laughs> Gonna hold on to that part, Jesus. It's too precious to me. I'm afraid to let it go. It gives me comfort. Can I just tell you, there's no one that gives comfort like Jesus. And yet we hang on to these little things that give us our identity. We begin to find our identity in these things, our hope in these things, instead of the only one who can give us hope. 
as believers in Jesus, we have to make him Lord of all. What would that look like? Honestly, I believe it would look like calling believers in Jesus to faithfulness to the Lord. Calling us all to this faithfulness to Jesus. Faithfulness to each other. That's what the church is. The church is just a broken place filled with broken people going, guess what? I can't make it without you. I need you. I'm a mess. I'm struggling with this competition between whatever this thing is and Jesus being Lord of my life. And so are you. And we need one another to help us, to move us, to draw us closer to Jesus being Lord of all than the things that we begin to find our identity and our hope within. We don't even realize we're doing it. Right? Sometimes we just go, well, I'm going to go to church and that's good enough. No. A life in Christ has never been about your church attendance. <laughs> it involves that. But it, it, it's more about who is your Lord? Who is your God? Who is the ruler of your life? I believe it's calling not only believers to faithfulness and faithfulness to his people as the church, but faithfulness to his word in obedience. This is who we have to be, friends. Faithfulness to discipleship, that we each grow in him, that we come to know him more. My prayer with all of my heart is that your elders, that we would find ways to move you from the disciple you are right now to somebody closer to Jesus this time next year. That's our heart. That's our prayer, that you go deeper in who he is, that you know him more, and that we're also faithful to this mission to make him known. If you were to describe South City that way, it's because we've made Jesus Lord of all, individually, corporately, as a family. Let me ask you this morning, who's Lord of your life? Who's Lord of your marriage? Let's just start there, can we? The Bible gives description of our marriage as, as, a, as a mirror image of the description of a life in Christ. It's so important that our marriage honor Jesus. It is literally a, a, a witness to the world of who he is. Do we see it that way? Is Jesus Lord of your marriage? Is he Lord of your finances? Is he Lord of your family? Is he Lord of your private world? The world that only you see. The world that only you engage, you and God. Sometimes we forget he's looking over our shoulder, right? That he sees everything. There's nothing uh, removed from his sight or his presence if you know him as your Savior. Even if you don't, he sees. But as your Savior, there ought to be an understanding that God is with me. He sees everything. Is he Lord of your private world? Our identity can't be in what we do or our accomplishments, what we've done or what we have, but simply in the truth that we are children of the living God. I'm a son of my Father God. We have beautiful daughters of our Father God in this place today. Is that where our identity comes from? I pray that it is. Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
But Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, I'm not even alive anymore. (laughs) What does that speak to Paul's interests? What does that speak to Paul's life? What does it speak to what Paul wants? What's most important to Paul? Jesus, that's it. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live in Jesus. Because Jesus was Lord of all in his life. He also put it this way in Philippians 3, 4. He said, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Everything that has to do with the law, I met it and exceeded it. There's nobody that can tell you they have such a place like I do. But what does it mean to me? Look here, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. See, when Jesus is Lord of all, there's nothing more important. Regardless of who you've been or what you've accomplished, you say, that stuff doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is knowing Christ and making him known. Paul doesn't get his significance from his history from his accomplishments, from what he's experienced even. He just wants to be obedient. He just wants to be connected to God. I want us to look at this text this morning as our main text, just for a few minutes here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you're turning over there, we'll have it on screen as well. But um, the Apostle Paul is, is writing this letter uh, to the Corinthian church. It's a troubled place, a troubled church. Uh, this is the second letter we have. It's not just the second letter that he wrote. There were letters lost. But look what Paul has to say to the Corinthian community, community here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He says this. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves, commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing to this community. It's a messed up church. Sounds like a few I know, right? The church is a broken place, and Paul's writing. And as he's writing, this is sort of, even by the first word of our text, therefore, 
gives us an indication that he's, he's, he's speaking to something he's already been speaking about, right? He's giving sort of a clarification of what he's been speaking about. So as you look deeper into this text, make sure you're looking at the rest of the letter, especially chapter 3. But Paul is basically refuting, uh, there have been some false teachers in the church. And he's refuting some of the things that they've been teaching. And he's also defending his apostleship. Saying, listen, what happened? You were following me. I was giving you the truth and you're not following now. And so he's defending his leadership among the church. And what he lays out for the Corinthian community is something that South City needs to hear. It's something that Drew needs to hear about making Jesus Lord of all of my life. So I want to break down seven specific points quickly as we go through this, okay? The first is this. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. The first thing you need to know as a believer in Jesus, you have a ministry. We talked about it from the text a chapter over, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We talked about the fact that Jesus has given us a message and a ministry of reconciliation. As a believer in Jesus, you have a ministry. That ministry is to make him known. He speaks about this in chapter 3. He talks about being ministers of a new covenant. The old covenant is the law. The old covenant are the rules. Paul says the old covenant only speaks to show us how we're sinful. But Jesus comes and brings us a new covenant in his blood. He fulfills the old covenant with his life and signs that new covenant in essence with his blood of his sacrifice. And so we have a ministry. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus to the world to make him known. It's your ministry, okay? Here's the second thing. With that ministry, be strong and bold and courageous in that ministry. Look what he says. We do not lose heart. Now when you read that, to me it sounds kind of like he's saying, hey, don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. But actually, the translation in the Greek is much stronger. It actually is saying, don't back down. That's what it says. Don't shrink back. It feels a little different than don't lose heart, doesn't it? Be bold. Be strong. Be courageous. So with your ministry, be strong. Be bold. Move towards the world with a confidence that God is with us. Jesus said in the Great Commission, Go into all the world and make disciples, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. He's with us. What do we have to be afraid of? You tell me. Be bold. Here's the third thing. We have to live our lives with integrity, honesty, and fidelity. Look what it says in our text. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We're not going to live as the world lives. We're going to be different. We've, we've renounced being a con. We've renounced being deceitful. We've renounced uh, not doing things in a godly way. We're not doing that. We're going to have integrity. It says we refuse to practice cunning. We're not going to be that person. We're not going to be deceitful. We're going to be upfront. We're going to be honest with our lives. Have integrity and honesty. And then look what he says. We're not going to tamper with God's word. We're going to be faithful to the word of God. I know a lot of progressive Christians that have been messing with and tampering 
the word of God. And it is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And you lose your way. So God is calling us as believers. We have a ministry to be strong and bold and courageous and to live our lives with integrity, honesty, and fidelity or faithfulness to the word of God. What else does he say? We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. See, what he's saying is, as believers in Jesus, we're going to confess and proclaim to the whole world that Jesus is Lord. Our lives are going to be an open statement. This is who I am. I don't want to dishonor anyone. I want to live with integrity and honesty and and, and faithful to the word of God. And you can see my life as I live my life as an open statement of truth before you and before the sight of God. That's who we need to be. Did you know that if, if Jesus is truly the Lord of all in your life, you don't hide the fact that he is Lord. Remember that little song we learned, I learned in Sunday school, you know, don't hide, your, uh, hide it under a bushel, no, remember that? You don't hide your light. If Jesus is Lord of all, then you, he can't be a secret in your life. When the Bible speaks of Jesus as Lord, it's about an open public confession. We believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths to the world, Jesus is Lord. Not this secret reality. No. We live our lives as an open statement before the Lord and before people. Then it says something very interesting here. Verse 3 says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That gives a lot of explanation to me about some people I know. There are, there are a few people that I, I, I pray for, and I want them to come to know Jesus. And I, as I have opportunity, I share Jesus with them, and I'm, I try to be uh, uh, wise, and I try to find new ways and creative to bring Jesus, the light of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and apologetic of Jesus to them. And sometimes it feels like they're just not getting it. Well, the enemy of this world has blinded them. Well, does that mean we stop proclaiming it? No. What it means is we pray. Prayer has to be the language of somebody who's made Jesus Lord of all. It's prayer is an acknowledgement. Lord, I don't have control of this. You do. You can open their eyes. You can draw them to yourself. You can do anything. You can take the vilest sinner like me and move my heart towards you. And if he can do it in my life, he can do it in anybody's life. I promise you. So we seek the Lord to open their eyes. Look at verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. See, the world is all about you. Everything in, 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 in bookstores podcasts, everything's to build you up. Let's just build you up, build you up. It's all about you. You're, you're, you're ever important. It's not about you, friend, if you're a follower of Jesus. Paul said, I'm 
crucified. I'm dead. Christ now lives. It's about Jesus. So is your life lived for you or is it lived for Jesus? Is he an add-on to your life? Yeah, occasionally I'll do this. I'll go to church. I'll, I'll claim that that's my church. I'll do this. I'll give here. I'll serve a little. No, no, no. Is he Lord of your life? Everything that you are, everything that you do, everything that you say. Life is not about us. It's about Jesus. And when he's the Lord of all, we know our place. We know his place as Lord. He calls the shots. Can I just tell you, if you're calling the shots in your life, if there's never a time where you don't do something you don't want to do, you don't, you're not in a time where God says, I don't, I don't think that's good for you. Your spirit says, I don't need that in my mind. I, I probably shouldn't watch this show. I probably shouldn't see this movie. I probably shouldn't say these things. I probably shouldn't give my money to this thing. I probably shouldn't, whatever the case may be. If the Holy Spirit is not convicting you in that area and you're, and you're being obedient, yes, of course, we all make mistakes. But if there's not a wrestling match going on, then Jesus is probably not Lord of your life. When he's Lord of our lives, we're, we're going to wrestle. God, my flesh wants to do this one thing, but I want to serve you because I want you to be Lord of all. There's nothing wrong in the wrestling match. Jesus wrestled. Jesus said, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Nothing wrong with the wrestling match. And if you're not having one, if your heart and your mind just go to sinful things, if your life just walks in sinful directions and you're not worried about it, Jesus is not Lord of your life. If he's Lord of your life, he will convict you. If he's Lord of your life, you will obey him. You will seek to be obedient to him. If he's Lord of your life, not only does he call the shots, but our identity is in him alone. He has full authority over me and my family. All of our lives, he is Lord of everything. Lastly, text says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ, Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's the seven things. He's given you a ministry if you're a believer in Jesus. He's told you to be strong and bold in that ministry, to live with integrity, honesty, and fidelity, to live with an openness of your life to the world and before God, to pray. Pray that the God of mission would open the hearts and draw people to himself. To know that Life is not about you. As a believer in Jesus, it ceased being about you and began to be about Jesus. It's going to be a crisis of belief in your life. I'll never forget coming to the point of this in high school. And I was wrestling and I was sweating and I was weeping and I did not want to give Jesus control. I was afraid of what that would look like for my future. I remember going to my youth director and going, I'm going to be poor my whole life. He was like, no, you're not. But in my mind, I thought that's what it meant. But I'm willing, God. I just, it scares me, but I'm willing. When Jesus is Lord of your life, you just you push it all to him and you say, God, 
Nothing else matters. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. And the seventh thing is that we become servants to the world for Jesus' sake. We are literally his physical hands and feet. We are his body to the world. Jesus making his appeal through us in that ministry. But if he's not Lord of all, he can't get very far through you or me. So we continually lay our lives down. God, I have nothing to bring here. I've got no gifting great enough. I've got nothing to bring apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus. Fill me with your spirit and use me for your glory. Burn me, Lord, out for your glory. To be a servant to the world means that we're going to get our hands dirty in the lives of people. Did you know as a as a follower of Jesus. And sometimes we're going to have to get our hands dirty in the lives of people. We're going to have to be involved. And it gets complex and difficult. And there's not easily marked directions sometimes. And we have to lean on Jesus. And each other as the family. But God's called us to be his servants in this world. And when we do those things it brings attention to him. Right, that light shines like from a mountaintop. It's beautiful. Jesus said, when we live this way, when we let the light of who he is shine through our lives, the world sees it and they're drawn to him. Matthew 5, 14, he says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The light of Jesus has given us life. It's his light. The same one who spoke light to the darkness in creation has spoken life to your soul if you know him. And now that light should shine from you to the darkness of the world. I want you to take an account, maybe of, of 2021, and say, where has my life shined the brightest? Like when I think through the things that I gave God glory for and I served and I was a servant for Jesus' sake and he shined through my life, well, think about those things. And if right now you're kind of going, eh, then let's make a change for next year. Let's make Jesus Lord of all and be his servant. For him to be Lord of all, Paul says this in Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, whether you do it in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When he is Lord of all, everything we do matters. Everything we do matters. Every moment of every day matters when he's Lord of all. Life's not about you anymore, it's about him. It's not about your preference or my preference anymore, it's about him. It's not about 
uh, my life or, or, or my money or, or, or my way or my plan. No, all those things are laid down when Jesus is Lord of all. And you say, God, it's all yours. You're going to use my experience. You want to use what you've given me because you've given everything to me. You want to even use the desires you've placed in my heart. But the only way they can be used is if I give them back to you. Sometimes we think in a church society like the South, I've got enough connection to the church, right? That's good enough. I, I hadn't killed nobody. I'm pretty good, right? I go to church on, on occasion. We've got to quit equating our obedience and life in Jesus to whether we went to a service. The church is about walking life with each other, not attending a service. The church is about serving one another, challenging one another, drawing one another to a life in Christ, not going, hi, good morning, that's it, and having coffee. That's not, that's not, that's a service. And I pray that it's helpful to you. But you need to know in this coming year, South City, our elders, our leaders are moving us, continually trying with intentionality, moving us to a culture of discipleship. That's who we want to be. We don't want to just be status quo church. We don't, we don't want to just do things the way we've always done it. We want to make some change. And that change may be difficult. But we want to see us moving in a direction of discipleship. The whole series we've been in for the last several months, Multiply, right? It's about what does it mean for us to be disciples who make disciples. So God, use our, cult, our, our church to become a discipling, discipleship culture. Not just saying, oh yeah, we follow Jesus. What did he say about that, John 6, 46? He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? What Jesus is acknowledging here before us and what we got to acknowledge is there's some of us in this room that may say, Lord, Lord, but we don't do what he tells us. And he says, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I tell you? In other words, if you would do what I tell you, then you've made me Lord, right? Our obedience to Jesus, our seeking him, our, our knowing him and making him known is when he becomes Lord of all. Can I just ask you this morning, is there something in your life, in your heart, maybe he's been convicting you of some sort of sin or habit or, or something that's in your life and you've just been holding on to it, you, just, you haven't let it go, you've been convicted, you've, you've thought about letting it go, you've thought about laying it down, you pick it back up, is there something on your heart and in your life that you need today, the first Lord's Day of 2022, say, God, I want to give it all. I'm not going to hold anything back. You have complete control of my life. I lay it down. Everything. Everything. Has God been calling you to something? Maybe God's been calling you to some sort of a ministry or, or some sort of a neighbor or some sort of person at work. Some intentionality and you've just been ignoring it. I don't think that's for me. I, hopefully that's not for me. I don't think that's... And God even now is, is speaking to your heart through his spirit going, it is you. When will you make me Lord of all? Jesus gives him the description of, of when our lives uh, look like the fact that we've made him Lord of all. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, You shall love the Lord with uh, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind. Another gospel says with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Jesus says, when I'm Lord of all, everything you are loves me. When I'm Lord of all, people around you, you love more than yourself. That's what it looks like. He also said it looks like this, Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. When we put anything above him, he's not Lord of all. And it's a continual wrestling match. Every single day we got to go, oh, what's my priority today? Oh, yeah, I need to move that out of the way and place Jesus right here. I need to move my heart and my desires and my flesh and my mind and the things that have been important to me out of the way, and i got to put Jesus on the throne of my life. Friends, as we close, can I just tell you this? This is my prayer for us for this year. I am praying that individually we make him Lord of all, that he is the most important thing in our lives. When we consider our individual relationship with him, our individual lives lived even in the private moments of our life, that we honor the Lord with all that we are and all that we have. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, maybe you're visiting with us and you haven't been to church very much, we're so glad you're here. And we want you to know what you've walked into, what you've wandered into is just a bunch of broken people like you. <laughs> We're no different. We've just found Jesus. He's just given us hope and life because of his death and resurrection. And my prayer is that you know him, that you would surrender your life to him. I pray that for all of us. Because making him Lord of all is about surrender. And I pray that it's a choice that each of us will live with intentionally every day, every moment this year. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. God, I thank you for the people that are here with us today, for our family, those partners of South City that have made a covenant to love you, to serve you, a covenant with one another, to be faithful to, to one another. To, to move each other forward in life in Jesus. God, I pray that we would take that covenant, that promise, seriously. That we would be who you called us to be and do what you called us to do. That life in you would be the most important thing in our lives. But it goes against everything in our flesh. Can I just acknowledge it goes against everything that we really want. And so I think about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, I've done the things you said to do and I want to follow you. Help me follow you. And Jesus says, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. And Lord, your, your word says that he went away sad and depressed because he chose his wealth instead of Jesus. Jesus was not Lord of all. His wealth was Lord of all in his life. God, I don't know what you're zeroing in on in each of our hearts right now. I'm thinking of some things in my life. I don't want it to have prominence over you. I don't want to place it above you. God, I want you to be Lord of everything. 
Lord, I pray that as we sing, that we wouldn't just sing along, we wouldn't just let this be a service element that we're used to where we know we're getting close to the end. God, for a few moments, can we just focus our hearts, our minds, our devotion upon you, the holiness of who you are, the glory of the gospel of Jesus that we can be made new in you, that I don't have to be known as the sinner that I was, but I could be known as a son of the living God, that my identity would be found fully, completely in you. Lord, help me, help us to make you Lord of all this year. And move in us now, God, to do whatever we need to do as we worship you, as we surrender, as we say yes, as we lay down these things that are on our hearts, God. We give you this time and pray that you would meet us and move us to obedience. We pray it in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen.